Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Are you looking to take your media strategy to the next level and make impact with millions of customers? Walmart Connect harnesses the massive reach of America's number one retailer. They can help you connect more meaningfully with Walmart's 139 million weekly online and in-store customers to find the right audience for your message. They use Walmart's proprietary customer purchase data to help you precisely target even niche audiences at scale. Visit walmartconnect.com today to see how they can help you find the customers you want at the scale you need. It was like overnight we were told that we were shutting it down. Welcome to episode 12 of The Great Fail, a podcast that examines the greatest success stories and their spectacular fails. What led to the demise of the most prolific people, brands, and companies? I am your host, Deborah Chen, and this week we'll be looking at Pan American World Airways. In the mid-19th century, a French neurologist, Guillaume Duchenne, wanted to learn more about facial expressions by studying how people smiled. After conducting research, he identified two distinctive types of smiles. The first of which he called the Duchenne smile is used to describe the smile of happiness and signals true enjoyment. It occurs when the zygomatic muscles, which are the corners of your mouth, are raised, and as a result, it pushes up your cheeks and forms the crinkles around the eyes. It's that look that people use when they're describing somebody who's smiling with their eyes. Now, a non-Duchenne smile only involves the zygomatic muscles, meaning you only raise the corners of your mouth, but it doesn't engage the rest of your face. It's more like a Botox smile, where only the mouth is contracted and nothing else on your face moves. Historically, it's a smile in a way that demonstrates friendliness and a kind of politeness that people today refer to as a courtesy smile. And around 90 years ago, there were women, well-educated, attractive, ambitious women who practiced this methodical smile for hours, this well-rehearsed, perfunctory delivery that reflected skilled perfection and impeccable excellence. This expression came to be known as the Pan Am Smile. Welcome to the story of Pan Am, America's favorite airline since 1927, vanished into thin air by December 1991. 
There aren't many companies or brands these days that can still evoke a quintessential all-American sentiment the way that Pan Am could, which is why I wanted to cover this particular story. But truth be told, unlike the other companies that we've covered on The Great Fail, this one is by far the most complex. It was a mega corporation and in existence for over six decades under the leadership of seven CEOs. It seemed like it was doing everything right for so long, but as it turns out, a few bad decisions and a series of really, really bad luck later, it folded and left a huge gap in the lives of so many people. Pan Am was the unofficial symbol for the United States to the rest of the world, and everyone recognized the brand. That blue meatball-looking logo that was as synonymous with America as Coca-Cola. Today, there are movies and shows that are based on Pan Am, and shows like Mad Men, centered around romanticizing a moment in history when things were a bit more innocent, virtuous, simple, or perhaps simple-minded. It was picture-perfect, but like that firm, polite, serene smile, hid something more insidious that framed a tumultuous period of social and cultural revolution and radicalism. It was a rite of passage of globalization that defined the rise of corporate America. But the story starts in the air and no company better represented the tale of the American experience better than Pan Am. One of the many fascinating tales about Pan Am was how the company started. Back in 1927, Juan Terry Tripp banded together with two other gentlemen, Hap Arnold and Carl Spatz, who both later became prominent fighter pilots during World War II. They joined to form a company to offer flights from U.S. to Panama Canal. The reason being that there was a German airline that was planning on offering flights to Panama, a territory owned by the United States. And so the formation of Pan Am would actually counterbalance that threat of German influence to an area. Juan secured the support of some major players and with their first $250,000, chartered the first seaplane from Miami to Havana. This first began with the company hauling mail from the United States to various parts of Latin America. But over the next three years, Pan Am exploded, quickly knitting together routes between North and South America and then turning their attention to Europe. Juan continued conquering the Atlantic ports and then securing landing rights in the Pacific, which would later become instrumental and beneficial to the United States during World War II. As you can imagine, the war helped establish Pan Am even further into the roots of the U.S. soil. Pan Am was always there for the government. You know, we, we converted airplanes back in World War II to fly military people. And all the way up to the um, Gulf War, we had 747s that were modded with a cargo door on the top. And it was uh, called a craft mod, C-R-A-F mod. In 24 hours, you could bring this plane in and change it out from a passenger plane to a troop mover and supply mover. And we were involved with moving troops from U.S. to overseas for the Gulf War. And we always helped the government. 
That was Stephen Whitman, who to this day has over 41 years of airline management experience. He's worked at Pan Am for 12 and a half years until the day that Pan Am was shut down, first in ramp operations, then in airport departure control, and then maintenance production planning. And given Pan Am's contributions to the government straddling between the political and economic landscape, it was destined to ascend the world's airways. And if there were an aerial coronation in the 1950s and 60s, it would be bestowed upon Pan Am, and not without merit. Juan, the revered air pioneer, made several advancements that are still credited today in the aviation world. For one, Pan Am completed its first round-the-world route in 1941. Remember, this was before the era of jumbo jetliners designed for transcontinental travel, and Pan Am was the first to pull off such a feat. Not only were they the first around the world, they were first across the Atlantic, first across the Pacific. They are the reason Jeppesen, who makes all the mapping and everything, Pan Am put that all together. Pan Am put together airports. Pan Am made all the routes that are used today were done by Pan American with famous pilots that ran these routes and built this system that we have today. Second, Juan was the first to recognize and use Boeing's jet airliners and ordered the first fleet of 707s for commercial service. Under his leadership, Pan Am also created the computerized reservation system and was founding member of the International Air Transport Association, the Global Airline Industries Association. And by the end of the 60s, when air travel was starting to become popular, Pan Am became a cultural milieu and the act of flying was more about the experience than the destination itself. Can you believe there was a time when passengers would wear their best suits, ties, even evening dresses on board and would be served steak, caviar, fancy cocktails, by highly educated stewardesses who are handpicked through a rigorous selection process based on their skill, demeanor, and physical appearance? Pan Am pilots were like the cream of the crop. They, they actually called them sky gods. <laughs> they were like the best of the best military pilots, uh, mostly, who uh, had lots of combat time and flight time behind them. And they were the pioneers you know they were the guys so everyone looked up to them the uh, one trip made them dress like sailors you know they were black and white black jackets gold buttons white hats you know and mechanics were dressed in white can you imagine a mechanic is working on (laughs) getting dirty all the time and he's in a white coveralls but they made it look so uh, prestigious you know but the pilots they They were the sky gods. Everyone looked up to them. The flight attendants, the ground people, everyone went with the pilots. They were the sky gods. Combine that with the thrill of traversing the globe to exotic locales like Paris, Tokyo, Bombay. There was nothing sexier. At the peak of the 60s and 70s, Pan Am was advertised as the world's most experienced airline and carried 6.7 million passengers between 1966 and 1968. It flew to 86 countries on every continent except for Antarctica. The airline was the most profitable of its kind and had cash reserve that totaled $1 billion. 
but soon enough, turbulence would throw Pan Am off its course. The first noticeable decline of Pan Am began to surface around 1970s, beginning with the economic shock from OPEC, when Arab countries placed an oil embargo against nations that included the United States. This caused oil prices to skyrocket over 400%. Prior to Juan's exit as CEO from Pan Am in 1968, he also made a decision to order in a large fleet of Boeing 747s, thinking that air travel would only continue to increase. With the oil crisis, that turned into a huge mistake, which no one saw coming. This made Pan Am even more exposed than its competitors, thanks to the huge overhead costs, because the 747s had wider bodies and required more fuel. Throw it in together and you got a mix more volatile than jet fuel itself. By the mid-1970s, Pan Am had racked up $364 million in losses, and its debts were approaching a billion dollars. These big airlines, including Pan Am, at that time, it was we were losing, I think, in the seven, end of the 70s and the eight, going into the 80s, close to a million, a million dollars a day. So something as simple as a piece of lettuce on a salad plate could save $2 million or $3 million. It's, it's hard to imagine, you know. William T. Sewell was the new CEO that came on during the 1970s to steward the company out of the losses with a strict turnaround strategy. A former brigadier general of the United States Air Force, he decided to make severe cuts across the board, which seems like a typical strategy for airlines that continue to this day. William cut corners in every possible way, slashing 25% of Pan Am's network, 30% of its workforce, and he continued to cut wages, reschedule debt, selling off the routes, and shrinking its fleet size. And it worked for quite some time, actually. But before the struggling airline would be able to pull out of a tailspin, there would be another terrible misstep. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to Bluehost.com slash Wondersuite. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Ready to unlock the full potential of your media spend? Whether you're looking to launch a new product, build your brand, or help increase sales this quarter, Walmart Connect helps brands make an impact with precise targeting, powerful analytics, and the reach of America's number one retailer. 
Walmart Connect offers solutions for advertisers of all sizes on and off Walmart's digital properties and in their stores. From cost-effective sponsored search and self-serve display ads on Walmart's site and apps, to connected TV and off-site media across web and social, to in-store activations and live events, Walmart Connect can help you deliver the right content to the right Walmart customer at the right step of their shopping journey. And Walmart Connect's closed-loop measurement means they can track the full impact of your campaign on sales, not just on Walmart's site and app, but also in-store. For some campaigns, they can even provide rest-of-market data that tracks the impact on sales at other retailers. Visit walmartconnect.com today to find out how you can start connecting with Walmart's 139 million weekly online and in-store customers. Walmart Connect. More than media. Meaningful connections. In the earlier years, Pan Am was granted all of the U.S.-based international routes. In other words, a virtual monopoly. After World War II, however, air transport was becoming a bit more common, and other airlines were getting in the game, bringing on very meaningful competition. Although Pan Am still had political influence to lobby for its position as America's premier international airline, the government was no longer providing Pan Am with the connections it had back in the 40s. Pretty soon, other airlines like TWA and United, amongst many others, were being awarded international routes over Pan Am, who had essentially pioneered these routes. William and the management team had their sights on a new strategy— which was to focus on shorter domestic routes to pull the airline back to profitability. Because it wasn't getting the routes it wanted, Pan Am decided to obtain it through another method, an acquisition. The Deregulation Act was passed in 1978, which meant the government could no longer control airline routes. And out of haste, Pan Am made its move. This was perhaps the most fatally flawed move Pan Am made, one that really set the company up for a downward spiral and threw it off its path. In 1980, the company found itself in a bidding war to acquire National Airlines for a whopping $437 million, a figure that many regarded as a drastic overvaluation. The acquisition turned out to be a failure on many levels. And one of the problems when two airlines come together, there's two different cultures. Pan American was a premier international airline, high-rated service. Their employees were trained well. Their staff were educated, highly educated, um, you know, flight attendants and pilots, even the mechanics, all the way down. And um, what happens is now you bring in a this domestic carrier that was put together and I think almost every year they were going on strike. I believe it was Maytag that owned them, Bill Maytag. And um, they would fight for their salary and then come back, you know, back and forth. And now you're bringing all this culture into this higher level culture and trying to put them together. There's a problem between the pilots because they have to merge them into the sequence of of, uh, seniority. There was the same with the flight attendants, mechanics. Everybody has to fit in. The culture clash between these two airlines can be easily understood through their commercials. Listen in to Pan Am's commercial first. When business takes you to New York... 
take your wife along. Pan Am flies to New York three times a day from London. Call a Pan Am travel agent or Pan Am, the world's most experienced airline. Now here's National Airlines. Everything you've heard about us Miami girls is true. We're always on the move. I'm Judy, and I was born to fly. Fly me to Houston. National has non-stop DC-10s every day. Or fly me to New Orleans on the only DC-10s. You can fly me morning, afternoon, or night. Just say when. I'm Judy, and I was born to fly. Fly me. Fly Judy. Fly National. But there were other problems as well. And from several years, they were the blue team and the orange team. It took a, quite a while for that to come together. This cost a lot of money also because you went from having, you know, maybe four different model airplanes to now six or eight different model aircraft. The acquisition became a major downfall for Pan Am, who had just dropped millions of dollars to get domestic flights. Millions that were now wasted thanks to the new law. And just when things couldn't get any worse, it did. In the most catastrophic, unimaginable way. The fuel cost and fuel prices in the 70s really hurt Pan Am. Then having the deregulation, again, another strike on Pan Am. Then the hijackings in uh, Karachi and different places in the Middle East, another load on Pan Am. So what they were doing was just trying to plug all these holes where they, they were bleeding from. And then I think the last straw was the bombing of the Pan Am 103 over Lockerbie, Scotland. And that really cemented that it pretty much killed the Atlantic, which was their focus. The 1970s brought with them the rise of highly visible terrorism, with repeated international terrorist attacks against the United States and others overseas. Given its status as a symbol of American globalism, Pan Am became a target. In 1986, Pan Am Flight 73 was hijacked after it departed from Bombay en route to Pakistan by four armed Palestinian men of the Abu Nidal organization. 43 passengers were injured or killed during the hijacking. Scarcely two years later in 1988, Pan Am's Flight 103 departed London for New York. It never made it. The plane was destroyed by an onboard bomb mid-air above Scotland, killing all 243 passengers and 16 crew, along with 11 people on the ground. It was a horrific tragedy of tremendous geopolitical significance at that time. At the time I was married to a flight attendant, the uh, Pan Am 103 really hit home because actually she was scheduled to be on that flight. We had a baby and we decided to switch around all the flights and work the first half of the month because it was in December so that at the end of the month we could go home with the baby and show my family and her family. And I lost close to 13 friends on that airplane. Back then, we didn't have nearly the security measures that we have today, but the crew was faulted as negligent for allowing a bag with a bomb to get on board. 
This took a heavy toll on the airline's reputation in ensuring safety, and it was hit with a $300 million lawsuit and additional fines for security failure. By 1990, the Iraqi invasion of Kuwait added to the deepening recession, a drop in travel, political and economic stresses, and a spike in oil prices. The latter would prove to be the final burden on Pan Am. Over the years, Pan Am had sold off many of its routes in hopes to stay afloat. But it rid itself of some valuable assets in the process. They made mistakes selling the profitable stuff. All of us thought, you know, why would we sell the stuff that's making money right now? We want to make money, so if we are we shutting down the Atlantic or if the Atlantic is closing down and only it's not nowhere near the size it was, we have the Pacific that's growing at that time and it's making us money. Why aren't we doing those? Instead, we sell it to United Airlines and they make the money. Delta Airlines purchased a majority of Pan Am for $1.4 billion to acquire its European routes. And Delta purchased our um, jet engine overhaul base. They called it a JEOB, JFK. They purchased our, a lot of our people in New York stayed with them. And they were promising a bridge loan to move our headquarters from New York to Miami and that Pan Am was going to operate South and Central America and the Caribbean and Delta was going to take over our Atlantic routes and you know our international stuff and this is the direction they were going and everyone had already realized that this was going to happen and we were just planning who's going where and what we were going to do so It was kind of a shock when they pulled the plug on the financing, the bridge loan. They decided they're not going to pay that, but they already got all the things they wanted, like all the overhaul base in New York and, the, and different locations. They got some space. Once they got everything they wanted, they pulled that bridge loan out, and it was like overnight we were told that we were shutting it down. On December 3rd, Pan Am, scrambling to stay alive, managed to convince a bankruptcy judge that it was in discussions with another major airline so that it could continue its operations for another day. But the very next day, on December 4th, a phone call was made to Pan Am's head office, and the message was, shut it down. Once the world's most favorite airline, Pan Am was a brand that created magic in the sky. The glamour and excitement of flying was an experience cultivated by a world-class crew, the most experienced engineers, the sophistication of its stewardesses, and the dashing warfighter pilots. What was embedded in the culture were the employees and their love for the airline. This pride and passion was infectious. It made service a priority, and Pan Am understood what the customers wanted. Everything was about sheer excellence, even down to how you greet your passengers. Obviously, with that good old-fashioned Pan Am smile. Over time, the harsh realities of the world came into play, and many would say that the oil crisis was a major shift that disrupted the culture of flying. When corners were cut at every angle, 
and the best-in-class experience was replaced by a goal to profitability. December 4th, 1991 was the last day of Pan Am, and even to this day, its employees can vividly recall that moment. There was nothing definitive or finite about it. In fact, it was all quite abrupt. There was no official wrap-up. Phones went unanswered. People walked off their jobs after the shift was done. And in some more dramatic cases, passengers were stranded at gates waiting for planes that never arrived. Stephen recalls the very last day for him. So first you had that happen, and then, you know, being at the airport for the last arrival. In Miami is where I was when this happened. The last flight, I believe it came from Barbados, Bridgetown, Barbados. It was a 727, and it was going to be the last arrival in Miami. And that airplane came, and the crew requested a flyby. So all of us were outside, you know, waiting for this plane. And he did a low flyby over the runway. You know, he went by. And then he came back around and landed. And then they had the fire truck set up, which is something they do for, like, an inaugural flight or for a, a captain's retirement. They have the two fire trucks, and they spray the water over like an arch, and they taxi through that. So that happened, and then they came to the gate, and then we realized that once all these people get off and everything gets offloaded, that's it. It's over. Special thanks to Stephen Whitman for his contributions to this episode and for sharing his story on the iconic Pan Am. And thank you for tuning in to this week's The Great Fail. Please make sure to visit our website at thegreatfail.com for behind-the-scene audio and video footage. If you like these episodes and want us to continue bringing you more, please subscribe to our newsletter because, well, not connecting with you would be our great fail. While you're at it, simply tell a friend about the show. That would help us out too. The research on each episode is extensive but none of them would be possible without the tireless efforts of researchers, writers, and reporters. They are all credited on thegreatfail.com under our show notes. Lastly, you can connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at The Great Fail Pod. And please subscribe, rate, review this podcast on iTunes to show your support. We'll be back in two weeks with a brand new episode. And remember, folks, with great failure comes great liability. If you expect your media investment to deliver clear, measurable results, Walmart Connect can help you get there with powerful analytics and the reach of America's number one retailer. Their closed-loop measurement uses Walmart's proprietary customer purchase data to track the impact of your campaigns on sales, not just on Walmart's site and app, but also in-store. For some campaigns, they can even provide rest-of-market data that tracks the impact on sales at other retailers. Visit walmartconnect.com today and see how they can help make your media spend meaningful. Walmart Connect. More than media, meaningful connections.